pass. Slavo, slavo, slavo. Oh, how are you? Doing well? Doing well? Doing great. I'm drinking this uh, tasty beer that you supplied me. Mm-hmm. Lone Pine, Portland, Maine. There are rumors of a tequila sunrise on the second half <laughs> of this podcast. So, Yep, halftime. I'm getting excited. Today, we're talking about L. Ron Hubbard. Mm-hmm. Born Lafayette Ronald Hubbard, commonly known as the founder of the Church of Scientology. Yep, big deal. And uh, like Scientology is the most recently founded religion. Which is pretty interesting. If you want to call it a religion. <laughs> well, so th- I had something I wanted to talk to you about right off the bat. I'm listening. How touchy should we be with Scientology? Because I was... Uh, I was actually talking to G. Dizzle about this, and I kind of scared myself on my way over, thinking, they might come after us. <laughs> done a lot of research on the Church of Scientology. They're very aggressive in the, uh, the field of litigation. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any fears? No, I think anything, if they came after us, like, have at it. We'll have you on the pod. We want to hear from you, Tom Cruise. <laughs> Not exactly where I expected you to go with that. <laughs> have, have at it. <laughs> we don't want to invite them to sue us or do whatever they do. Covert operations. Yeah. It's a weird one. It's so weird because it's this religion, but it's also they claim to come from science. It's like half or a lot of people on the internet just make fun of Scientology, make fun of L. Ron Hubbard. Mm. And then you have like Tom Cruise and you have Staples who represent this religion very profoundly. Mm. And I just, whenever I was reading about L. Ron Hubbard, there was no one in the middle just being like, you know, like (laughs) Like, some of his ideas seem pretty good (laughs) and there's something about him. No, it was always like he is insane or he is the truth. Yeah. Scientology is just great because you name your religion Scientology. It's like naming your religion like Factology, (laughs) Truthology. Yeah. It's great. It's great. But let's get started. L. Ron, how did he get to where he was? We'll go back to the, uh, we'll go back to the beginning here. So L. Ron Hubbard or Lafayette Ronald Hubbard on March 13th. 1911 in Tilden, Nebraska to Ladora May and Harry Ross Hubbard. Yeah. And his dad, very notably a naval officer, which made L. Ron Hubbard a Navy brat. And so as a kid, he's moving around a lot. And people noted he made friends easily. He was a socialite. <laughs> very charismatic young kid. So the family, I would say most of his roots as a child were either in Montana or in DC is what I would say. And he, he notably spent time in uh, the Eastern world and China and maybe Japan and such. And in Guam. Yeah. Which is, uh, especially for the time 1911, it's not just like everyone's flying over there, you know, it's a somewhat unique experience. Yeah. For, very traveled, uh, very traveled, especially for the time. Yeah. So in 1924, at the age of 13, he became an Eagle Scout. Do you believe the claim (laughs) that he was the youngest Eagle Scout ever? Okay. 
It's an interesting question. So at 13, an Eagle Scout, which is a very notable accomplishment, the Eagle Scouts will always point out to you how X percentage of presidents were Eagle Scouts. And so the Eagle Scout, they have no written documentation at what ages people become Eagle Scouts. Is he the youngest at 13? I, I think he might be. Like, that's a pretty young age to get. You sound like Eagle a convert. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, there's a fair chance because you can't get much younger. 12, 12. 11, 10. <laughs> 12. 12 sounds as reasonable as 13 to become an Eagle Scout. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a chance he doesn't know for sure. Scientology doesn't know for sure. They proclaim it like a fact. I think there's a chance, but he no doubt became an Eagle Scout at a very young age, um, which is certainly an accomplishment. It is true, though. Usually when I think of an Eagle Scout, I'm thinking like 16 to 18 years old. Oh, yeah. Do you believe the claim that he was the youngest Eagle Scout? You know, no, I don't believe any of his claims. Fair. I just think, statistically speaking, it's probably not L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> yeah, and like in the Scientology propaganda, when they talk about this time, they're like, you know, he's in Asia learning profound wisdom of all cultures, or he's become an Eagle Scout learning the physics of the world and the mind. But, but when he was in when he was in Asia, like he wrote kind of mean things about Asian people in his. Oh, yeah. In his, in his journal. It wasn't like he was uh, off getting taught by like these great Eastern medicine people. <laughs> like, no. No. He's kind of a brat not. kid. Yeah. So he ends up going to uh, Helena. Is it Helena, Montana? <laughs> he went to high school in Montana, <laughs> uh, but ended up dropping out due to bad grades. Another thing that I noticed was kind of prevailing with childhood was that it seemed like his dad just like kept setting him up for success. Yeah. Like his dad would, he would get him into this prep school here. He goes, Ooh, you want to join the red cross? Ooh, you want to do this? Ooh, you want to do that? Like his yeah. dad keeps setting mm -hmm. him up for things. Yeah. His dad definitely wanted him to go in the Navy. His dad had this more conservative mindset. Mm. And they, you know, they wanted him to get a good solid job, yeah. but L. Ron Hubbard is not going to just sit around and go through the motions. Yeah. He doesn't want to deal with that bullshit. <laughs> he doesn't want to, <laughs> he doesn't want to go to high school. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, but he does end up going to prep school and it's one of those, this is kind of sign of the times. He goes to a prep school where you don't have to take the entrance exam to go to George Washington University. He was a really bad test taker, it seems like. He wasn't academically, wasn't great, but made up for it with his charisma. Oh, absolutely. He um, was a charmer. So he, he ends up going to George Washington University in Washington, D.C., and uh, studied civil engineering at the behest of his father. Yeah. His father very much wanted him to get this stable, good civil engineering career. And, you know, he's taking classes, failing a lot of them, and he's pursuing the stuff he enjoys, the adventuring. He is uh, president of the Glider Club, which is, this is before airplanes. So it's basically airplanes with no engines. You jump off a cliff or you get some high ground and then you just kind of soar. I mean, this is L. Ron Hubbard. He loves the adventure. Mm. kind of the glory just being out there flying and so this is what he's spending a lot of his time 
in his college days. He's not really showing up to class. He's not getting the good grades. No. And he has such a knack for ending up in the newspaper. But during the one of the summers, I believe, in college, he is gliding or flying in different parts of the country and crashes in a farmer's yard in Ohio. And the farmer is like, okay, you need some gas. You need this little bit of repairs. The farmer goes and gets you know, what he needs. Ron's like, how can I repay you? And at this point, they have like 30 some onlookers and they're like, can we take a ride? And so then <laughs> they all, and this is all documented in the newspaper. And the newspaper says 36 daring souls <laughs> start to fly this glider with Elron Flash Hubbard, Devil Speed Pilot, <laughs> and Parachute Pilot. He just he ends up in the newspaper. He somehow always ends up the center of attention. Yeah, definitely always at the center of attention. He uh Orga- like he organized like a treasure hunting trip to the Caribbean <laughs> when he was in college yeah. and they were going to procure a boat and he, he wanted to go find like Spanish treasures and he wrote our goal was to find things that which you would put in an exhibit <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean this is the, the confidence and ambition this guy has he just found some sailboat and then he got a bunch of other college kids volunteers and like all these college kids are probably like hey this sounds like a good time spend some time on a boat maybe searching for treasure which i really think it kind of spoke to his ability to kind of like get people excited for things kind of gather a crowd and but no he had crazy claims like he was like university of michigan is providing this technical support the fox movie wants us to take aerial footage from a glider <laughs> all this all these like huge claims kind of a disaster the captain and the crew which they're paying get mad because they begin to realize they're not going to have enough money to pay them they send back message to the person who owns the boat and they have to kind of go home early. Like they were supposed to go to all these Caribbean islands, but I think they really just went to Bermuda and Puerto Rico. But again, he comes back and in the George Washington hatchet, the student runs newspaper. He's like, they did all this great research. They were out harpooning sharks (laughs) They were capably entertained by the dark-eyed senoritas. Sports. <laughs> oh my gosh! And this is all in the George Washington student newspaper, and you know he's really exaggerating what they did categorically. Oh yeah, yeah. which is uh, pretty common for him. Yeah, <laughs> like, I think this is yeah, this is such an example of who L. Ron Hubbard is. He does something that involves like gathering some people, ambition, confidence, and then just completely exaggerates what happened. (laughs) Yeah, like at George Washington, how he took a class in atomic physics, which he failed. (laughs) But he then went on to like call himself like trained in nuclear physics for the rest of his life or a nuclear physicist. Yeah, exactly. Or uh, later we'll see when he was in the Navy – they had like a Navy school for um, at Princeton. And for three months, he was like trained by the Navy people just using the buildings of the Princeton school. But he was always like, my time in postgraduate at Princeton. <laughs> he also got a doctorate degree from like a sham school. 
Yeah, there was like you literally just like mailed some guy who like mailed back a doctorate degree. It was called Sequoia University. <laughs> yeah, it was literally like you just pay and then they like give you a doctorate. <laughs> and then he started referring to himself as a doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he so he ends up dropping out of George Washington. Yeah. Moral of the story. He he didn't end up making it all the way. And then again, his dad pushes him to do something and sets him up to join the Red Cross. Yep. And uh I think he was supposed to go to Puerto Rico for that, but then he ended up going like another treasure hunting trip. Yeah. I think I think he went to like where he was supposed to be for Red Cross, took the ship there, and then just started searching for treasure, found some people, was like mining. <laughs> Like always, just always like in another harebrained scheme. Oh, yeah. like, <laughs> exactly. Always scheming, always up to something. Would you imagine if, if we had a friend who like was doing this at that age, I think I would have been such a sucker. Like, Hey, come on this ship. Like, fuck yeah. Like, why not? Oh, like, I mean, it sounds like a good what time. He's doing sounds like a spectacular time going down on a ship, yeah. going down to the Caribbean. Like it was probably yeah. pretty easy to get people to do it. Yeah. It, I think I like at this point I would have had a lot more respect for him if he was like just being honest. But he just has to boast and make everything so much bigger and just exaggerate what he's doing. Yeah, everything definitely has this kind of grandiose yeah style to it. That's why with the uh, the Eagle Scout thing, it's like he just exaggerated oh, yeah. so much that I feel like I don't think anyone knows who's the youngest Eagle Scout, but you know he'll claim to be. So. In 1933, so he's 22 years old, he ends up meeting Margaret Polly Grubb. They quickly got married, and then they gave birth to his first son, L. Ron Jr., also known as Nibs, which is a fun <laughs> nickname, in 1934, and Catherine May in 1936. Yeah, and, uh, you know... No real need to remember his first wife's name. The the wives and girlfriends that kind of come and go in his life, and I get them all confused. <laughs> it's very easy to get confused when we're talking about his wives and girlfriends. It was like anytime he went to a new place, it felt like he really, oh yeah, struck up a new relationship. And Absolutely. Then- he just had nothing steady in his life. He's always chasing a new career, chasing a new woman. It seems so fast paced. And when you go through his life, it all seems like it happens so fast. I do wonder if you like got to know him, if he was like as frantic as he mm-hmm. feels, you know what I mean? <laughs> because it just, because yeah. there's so much going on. Like of all the people that mm-hmm. we've studied, I feel like he had more, just like random experiences because as you go through his life, it gets weirder and weirder and the things that he does and the pace at which he does them accelerate. Yeah. And I do think it extends to his personality. I think he was pretty frantic and just kind of like all the place, a little (laughs) schizophrenic. (laughs) Do you know who I thought of the whole time I was reading about L Ron Hubbard and Scientology was Jim Jones. Oh my goodness, so much. And as we stepped through this, we had all these signs you're in a cult. And like, yes, he is so much like Jim Jones. It's so similar. Just everything is so exaggerated. There's this charisma 
this belief that you can't live in America. You have to like go off yep. to some place yep. so that you can have a more accepting environment. It was just yep. all, if it wasn't for like the weird sex stuff. Yeah. That was where they differed. I mean, even L. Ron Hubbard, they both had penalties for when people swayed from the group. Jim Jones would have like a spankings with paddles. L. Ron Hubbard, when they were on the boat, if you committed a crime to the group, you would get pushed off the boat (laughs) into the water, like off the plank, like a pirate. And then they'd welcome you back on. And Yeah. Or they would like have you go. They had this like weird like room that you'd have to go be in the room and the room didn't have a bathroom. And you just have to like poop on the floor. Yeah. Oh, the other thing, uh, Jim Jones had this thought police where no one could say anything bad. L. Ron Hubbard has, when you're going through this auditing, one of the things they ask is, have you had any bad thoughts about L. Ron Hubbard? Yeah, and they interviewed people and they were like, well, didn't you think it was a little weird that he was being so ruthless to all of his followers? And the person was like, well, like a little bit, but... You have to remember, we weren't allowed to have negative thoughts about L. Ron Hubbard. So, yeah, <laughs> try not to think about it. <laughs> it's Jesus. Like, it's like, oh, man. But, oh yeah, I just yeah. need the, oh, the yeah. Jim Jones. <laughs> he's yeah. definitely got that personality. And their personality types seem very similar. Oh, yeah. So, he's out of school. He is in D.C. He starts working his career. What kind of career is Elron in? He is a science fiction writer. (laughs) Well, he did like freelance writing for magazines, but then ended up started writing short stories for pulp fiction magazines. So he would write all sorts of short stories under pen names. Yeah. And according to everyone, the volume of work he pushed out, the amount of writing he did was insane. He would just write nonstop, just short story here, short story here. And under all these pen names, which are kind of like the old school Twitter burner accounts, <laughs> because he would use these pen names to talk about how great L. Ron Hubbard was. <laughs> <laughs> That's classic. Yeah. Wow. He was like the Kevin Durant of his time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So he's gassing himself up with the different pen names, <laughs> which is great. Yeah. And he uh, really did not make much money. I think he was paid a cent a word yeah. for a lot of the stuff that he wrote, mm-hmm. which uh, even at the time was not very much money. No. And he is famously quoted as saying, this was later on, but writing for a penny a word is ridiculous. If a man wanted to make a million dollars, the best way would be to start a religion. <laughs> it seems it, to be foreshadowing. A bit. I know, I know. It, it is in like, you know, I want to be respectful to religions, but it is kind of crazy to me that the founder of this religion is someone who writes science fiction, who's supposed to come up, you know, write these crazy fiction ideas and is quoted as saying, oh, this would be a great way to make money. <laughs> And the first followers of the religion were science fiction fans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but. Hey, hey, if, uh, <laughs> if it makes you a better person. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he released a novel. He wrote the script 
for a like a movie type thing. This is all in the late 1930s. And uh, he kind of was like in the science fiction circles. Yeah. He, because he just wrote, he was so prolific. He wrote so much. He wrote so much. And at some point he kind of moved away from the Pulp Fiction and he wanted to move into like respectable publishing and he made a little money. And so this was the thing. He would make money. He would just spend it ridiculously. <laughs> and so his first like respectable publishing, he got an advance of $2,500, which was a lot then. Yeah. And then he goes and tells his wife, they know they're in a lot of debt. And he's like, I use it to buy a boat. <laughs> but the crazy thing is he would bury himself into debt, but he always found a way out. His love of boats <laughs> was, like, <laughs> was like kind of this like weird aspect of yeah. the whole story with him. Yeah. It kind of, the fact that he always wanted to be this like naval commander. Yeah. Um, which we'll, we'll get into shortly, but yeah. It is interesting because he didn't have the greatest relationship with his dad, who was a naval commander. But, but he always is like seafaring. It was always yeah. what he oh, was doing. Oh, yeah. He was always seafaring. And it's interesting when you see the uh, – when Scientology talks about L. Ron Hubbard, they were like, he conquered the airs with gliding. <laughs> he conquered the sea with you know, sh- shipping. And you know, to some degree, they're right. He was like somewhat proficient in shipping and – gliding in the air i mean but not to the extent he said he was (laughs) i mean proficient in the sense that he didn't like christopher columbus himself and crash his boat (laughs) swimming to shore (laughs) like but he was i didn't think he was the best captain (laughs) no no he yeah he was exactly as Um, a hobby you know pretty impressive (laughs) as a hobbyist so in in 1938 he had a dental procedure which was kind of a a big turning point in his life because he took some medicine during his procedure or before it and supposedly had a near death experience where he, um, I think he said he was dead for eight minutes or something along those lines. Classic. And he had some sort of a religious premonition Mm -hmm. and out of it came the (laughs) manuscript for a piece of work called Excalibur. And he could not have built up Excalibur more. He was like, this piece of writing is going to change the world. And he was going to release it. But then, you know, he showed it to a few people. I think allegedly someone read it and immediately committed suicide just because they were overwhelmed with the audacity of the work. And he, the- yeah, he, to- he said to his agent that anybody who read it front to back either went insane or committed <laughs> and he said that the last time that he showed it to somebody to an editor at a publisher yeah that they finished the manuscript set it down on the table walked out of the room and then threw themselves out the window of the skyscraper <laughs> oh my goodness oh my goodness and yes he did say as he was about to bring it to publishers that he thought it was going to have a greater impact on the world than the Bible. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> Maybe. 
because they did i believe they released the excalibur like later like right now it's released you can go read this book at you know yeah I fair think it warning became, like a scientology like they they, they released up. it yeah like what are the <laughs> what if this was real <laughs> what if he, when he was like given anesthesia he went into another dimension and learned these spiritual truths <laughs> i mean hypothetically <laughs> i guess it could be believable but <laughs> i just don't he just had such a history of just being oh, so grandiose yeah. all the way up to this point yeah. and just being like a writer and like always having these ideas and like always having this preposterous concept for how they came to be and yeah. then all of a sudden it was like all right you had this near-death experience and then like you emerged with the Excalibur yeah. and like he said that he thought and he would have, he would like think and he would get injuries from his thinking. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was a big thing. The mental effects, the physical, and he basically would later claim that like all physical ailments can be cured with mental acumen and, <laughs> Yeah. And, and out of the forge came Excalibur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but nobody picked up Excalibur. So it was not released. Yeah, um, for obvious reasons. But that was maybe one of the first signs of him coming up with this divine plan for himself. Yeah. Where he was presenting himself as almost a uh, deity like figure. Yeah. And just a little side note here. So if we were talking about this and we had Tom Cruise here, like what would he say? Would Tom Cruise just be like, oh yeah, he actually had these experiences while like under anesthetic and he really, or, or do you think he views him as a God type figure or just like, yeah, hey, he's a little crazy, but you know, his My stories have some good messages. Scientology is that Scientology is like an interesting religion in the sense that the Bible is based around God and then Jesus is a figure within that greater power. But Scientology is based around L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> like he kind of is the God. There's, there's obviously yeah. there's higher stuff in it, but it's all yeah. like runs through him. Yeah. So I would think that Scientologists would agree with everything about, about L. Ron yeah. Hubbard. Yeah. I would I, think I might be wrong, but yeah, I did see one, a Scientologist, and he may have become a former Scientologist, but he was saying he was like, "Yeah, I thought Hubbard was a bit of a whack job." But he believed in the like technology. He was like, "The whack job found this really good technology that helps people." What, I just want to know what Tom Cruise thinks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> Tom. <laughs> Whenever I think of Tom Cruise, I always think of that interview with Oprah. Yeah. When he, when she's like, "What do you think? What do you think about Katie? Katie Holmes?" And he just looks at her, and he's just like smiling, like gr like grinning ear to ear. And he's like, "Ah!" It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, terrifying. So, I got something here. Um, Good. So, typical Ron Hubbard with this boat he bought, money he got from the book. He goes on an expedition to Alaska with his wife. 
I, I think we're on number one right now. This is his first wife. Although when he's in, one. when he's in New York, writing all these Pulp Fiction and working with the editors, he's like having a number of affairs. But him and his wife, they go to Alaska. He goes to this Alaskan radio station, which they're so desperate for material that they just let anyone come on. Like part of their programming schedule is just be like, hey, anyone who wants to show up and talk, you can talk. Yeah, he worked part-time. Yeah, he worked there part-time. Yeah. And then Ron Hubbard shows up because he's just on this expedition and he's just telling stories. And apparently it was a big hit because if there's one thing Ron Hubbard's good at is the gift of gab in telling these crazy, <laughs> exaggerated, probably fictional stories. Um, yeah. And one of them was like, he was fishing and pulling up a fish and then a bear, <laughs> a bear by accident was following the fish and like got on the boat. And then he had to like get the bear off. And just, this is the epitome of Ron Hubbard just telling these outlandish stories yeah 100%. but it captivated people and apparently this radio station loved him it was like trying to program and get him in as much as he could it kind of reminds me of like rush limbaugh <laughs> that's what i'm imagining him yeah just, just like getting everybody all worked up in Alaska. <laughs> absolutely so yeah see that's just like a random thing like that yeah. was just like a random thing he did. He just like went to Alaska, got <laughs> stranded in Alaska, ended up like yeah. working for a radio station and being a contributor. And then, yeah. and then yeah. eventually leaves and it's just like <laughs> on to the next thing. Yeah. <laughs> what a life. All right. So in the early 1940s, also known as the time of world war two, Ron joins the Navy. Mm-hmm. We'll go through the Navy stuff. I'm just going to kind of like buzz through it because I feel like it's kind of crazy. It's a lot of him moving around. Yeah. And so part of how he got into the Navy was he was commissioned and he got a lot of people to like write him letters of recommendation. One of them was a senator and he he knows the senator to some degree. And the senator was like, like, you know, I don't have time for this. You're a writer. Just write something. I'll sign it for a recommendation. So a recommendation from the senator. Ron Hubbard is writing about himself. And this is how he begins. To whom it may concern. This will introduce one of the most brilliant men I have ever known. Captain L. Ron Hubbard. It's <laughs> 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 just like the epitome of Elrond. He writes a recommendation about himself and starts it off by introducing the most brilliant men, man he has ever known. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he just completely, completely creates the most preposterous <laughs> recommendation letter. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that was his style and it, and it got him into a commission as a naval officer. Yeah. And it kind of attests to how probably successful he was as a writer or as like a, dare I say, influencer where, you know, he knows the Senator to this degree and he has all these powerful people writing him letters. Yeah. And the guy didn't care. He was like, yeah, like, I don't know, like you write it, I don't, I'm whatever, yeah. like whatever's fine. And yeah. so he like had friends in the high places. Exactly. Yeah. It really says a lot about his charisma. Yeah. And so, so he starts out, he's posted to the Philippines and while on his way, he's in Australia 
and pretty much immediately gets sent home. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, just uh, saddle up people. It's just, it's like, he's just hopped all over the military. Yeah. He goes all over the military. So we sent home, I think they said something along the lines of that. They did not think that he would be um, fit to lead a boat on his own. They didn't think that he could be an independent leader. They said, so they sent him back to the U.S. and basically yeah. gave him a desk job. And I have a quote from one of his like reviews in the Navy. Mm-hmm. He is garrulous and tries to give impressions of his importance. He also seems to think he has unusual ability in most lines. Will require close supervision. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of people saying that he required supervision. <laughs> so he gets the desk job, and then he requests to, he wants to go like lead another boat. So he ends up going going to Massachusetts, and on a boat there, they were like building a gunship in Massachusetts, and then before the boat's even finished, he uh, is relieved of command from that boat because uh, it was determined that he did not have the correct temperament to be a leader. So then in 1943, he goes to Portland, Oregon on a, to uh, a submarine to be the commander of a submarine that is being built. It was called like the shakedown of the submarine or something like that. I'm pretty sure it's the maiden voyage of the submarine to basically just test it out. Mm-hmm. He is in command and the submarine is going from Oregon down to San Diego. Yeah. Five hours into the trip, Hubbard spots an enemy <laughs> submarine or ship and enters into combat. Yeah. For 68 hours. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it becomes a big deal. They're using all of the fuel they have. They call in multiple ships as backup. <laughs> and yet, ultimately, you know, on the official documents, all of the commanding officers in these, you know, separate ships and submarines that came to help out said they ultimately did not see any evidence of an enemy submarine except for one of those commanding officers. And that was L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> yeah. I think they said that there was like a known magnetic deposit in the ocean yeah that he mistook for him yeah yeah so yes yeah definitely some instrument some signal was popping off and you know in his mind he just immediately goes extravagant outrageous 68 hours of combat (laughs) maneuvering Yep. So he's relieved of command there. Yeah. The funny thing is, so if like L. Ron Hubbard was here to defend himself, I feel like he's so good at twisting the story is he would probably convince us. He would be like, it was a huge enemy battle, but you know, they had to keep a secret because of the military. Like he was so good at just twisting what happened. Oh yeah, he would, imp- he would definitely make it seem like like it to- not only did it totally happen, but he actually <laughs> is downplaying it. Yeah. <laughs> We'd be like, oh my God, thank you for your service, Ron. But we're going based off of what what the facts are. <laughs> what the official military documents The quotes say. of what other people say. So he gets posted to another ship and that's when he gets requested to go to Princeton for military school. Yeah, this Navy training school where the Navy rents the buildings in Princeton. And then do you think, okay, so he found like a, a makeshift bomb on the boat on one of his ships. Do you think he, 
it was like the night before he was heading to his uh, naval academy or his naval training school. He found like this makeshift bomb. Do you think he planted it? Um, probably. <laughs> <laughs> if he didn't plan it, you know, he used the most of it as an out to kind of leave the Navy. Yeah. And he also, at some point, he, they sent him to a training center where they're, you know, they're training these military members and almost immediately he's known as this like war hero who has been in combat and would like, you know, if their lights were too bright, would be like, I, I can't really see. I lost most of my vision in combat. And the people in that training area were like, oh, it was well known that, you know, he had shrapnel in his body and, you know, he had seen some serious action. This <laughs> <laughs> is so classic, dude. Like yeah. anything you can, anything you can think of that he would have yeah. just completely exaggerated oh yeah <laughs> he did he really did he went he above did. and beyond <laughs> oh speaking of exaggeration after he's his uh time in princeton he gets assigned to california and i think at this point he was kind of sick of being in the navy so he gets admitted to the hospital with various illnesses like he's got ulcers and he's got headaches and he's got arthritis. Yeah, <laughs> like, he can't see well and yeah, he can't see like all these things that all these things that are tough to diagnose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so <laughs> he ends up leaving the military and he I think he was honorably discharged because he gets a pension from the VA in 1945. He meets this guy in California called Jack Parsons. Mm -hmm. And if you think this story is crazy <laughs> at this point, just wait. <laughs> <laughs> so up like, until this point, it was just like this, like kind of kooky guy mm -hmm. who did these weird things. But this is where things like start getting weird. Oh yeah. <laughs> he meets this guy. Jack Parsons, who was an occultist. Yeah. Kind of a Satanist. Satanist, witchcraft. Dark magic, black magic. Black magic. And so <laughs> Ron Hubbard goes and lives with this guy and his girlfriend, Sarah, who is like much younger than him. Yeah. And uh, basically, like, immediately starts just, like, getting romantically involved with this guy's girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, this mansion had a lot of people coming in and going. A lot of orgy-type stuff. And Jack Parsons is the guy who owns the mansion. He would, like, people were allowed to sleep with his girlfriend. He didn't believe in jealousy. And then Ron Hubbard comes into the picture. and He's this charismatic guy telling him about his war adventures. And, you know, he woos the girlfriend. And so I was like, so at one point, Jack, Jack Parsons and Ron Hubbard do a ritual, a sex ritual called the Babylon Working, where the ritual was designed to summon an incarnation for Babylon. And based on what I read, it was Jack Parsons was like jerking off and Ron <laughs> Hubbard was 
like scanning for <laughs> mystical beings. <laughs> I, I have no idea, but it was sexual. Is Babylon just like the devil or something like that? Some evil demon? So when I, I'm not really sure. I wasn't really sure what they were going for. Yeah. They were trying to like create a baby. And it was supposed to basically be this kind of demonic baby figure. <laughs> yeah. And then there was a girl that showed up a couple of days later and they just decided that that was the... <laughs> I'm sure it was a full moon and she she showed her full moon. <laughs> yeah. they. I mean, that was just like so weird. Yeah. And But I do think, I think during this time, Hubbard seeing kind of, you know, you can, how you can kind of manipulate people. And he's learning about hypnotism and just kind of this, like, people are susceptible to this dark magic. I think he's, yeah. you know, he's kind of, he's learning some stuff. Yeah, definitely. So Ron, Jack, and Sarah all decide they're going to start a company together. Yep. The trilogy, the the sexual love triangle. They decide they're going to start a company together and they're all going to invest their savings. Jack had quite a bit more. <laughs> and they're going to, and what the company is going to do is... They're going to go to Miami and they're going to buy boats and then they're going to sail the boats to Southern California and then sell them there for a profit. Dude, not a bad idea. If the boats are more expensive in Southern California, I mean, driving yeah. them to... It's, it's great in theory. And I think that's what Jack thought. <laughs> so he invested all his money into this and um, he invests all his money and then... Ron and Sarah go to Miami to go buy the boat and Jack basically never hears from them again. They just like shack up in in Southern California or Southern Florida. Yeah. So Ron, L. Ron Hubbard basically takes this guy's girlfriend. They go to Miami on this guy's dime, get a boat, all part of a business dealing, but then just like, are literally just living on the boat, shacking up. <laughs> and at this point, there was, uh, I was reading, there was stuff where other writers that knew Hubbard were basically like, oh yeah, he like swindled that guy. <laughs> and we're just commenting on the fact that he like totally screwed the guy over. And yeah, so Ron basically just stole this guy's life. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's no question. <laughs> he took all, he convinced this guy to give him money to go on a love cruise with this guy's girlfriend. With, yeah, with his girlfriend. I will say, I will say, they ended up marrying. This is this is how Ron, L. Ron Hubbard meets his next wife. Um, granted, he's still married to his first wife. <laughs> yeah, he, he, she, she didn't find out that he got married. <laughs> until a year after they got married yeah yeah and he always struggled for money and so oh yeah he was off doing these things to make this money so his wife was probably like hopeful that he was off trying to make a living for himself um which he kind of was (laughs) in a way (laughs) yeah i mean he knew how to rack up debt but he ultimately knew how to make money as well (laughs) so he uh so now he's with sarah and uh which also that's a great oh, so how'd you guys meet well let me tell you <laughs> classic sex ritual <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> and so eventually they moved back to la 
and he is working for one of his friends. And I think he, they were like broke, super broke when he was in LA. Like in 1948, he gets charged with theft. So he wasn't exactly on the best of times. And then, but this is when he starts working on the theory of Dianetics, which yeah. Dianetics basically, it, like in a super simplified form, is the idea that all of your life experiences and memories are in your brain at all times. Yeah. Whether it's consciously or subconsciously, all of your experiences are in your brain. And these negative experiences, they're causing these negative thoughts and they might be causing ailments for you. So what you can do is you can go into your brain, you can relive these experiences and you can clear them from your mind. Yeah. Unreal. So let's dive into this a little bit. So you recall these memories and a lot of them are bad and you just keep going back and back and back until a lot of them bring you back to when you were like a fetus, even as far back as you were sperm. And he called them sperm dreams. <laughs> And a lot of the, yeah, a lot of these memories, these like Ingrams. Mm. Um, keep, we keep air quoting each other. <laughs> I keep getting this doesn't go the, <laughs> hopefully our tone comes through. Yeah. Ingrams. <laughs> Ingrams. And he would say that if you were almost aborted and you were a fetus and you hear that your father wants to abort you, that this is going to affect you when you grow up because you heard it as a fetus and it's most likely going to end up like to force the baby into a profession the kid doesn't like because of this memory he had when his father like wasn't happy with him. <laughs> yeah. So these are bad. These are bad memories. These are bad experiences. So what you want to do is you want to clear them. Yeah. And so what you do is you team up with someone and they will mm -hmm. audit you. And the auditor will take you through your memories and, and assist you in the clearing process. Yeah. And this is, you know, like this is practiced until today. And I do imagine there probably are a lot of benefits. It sounds like a lot, maybe like therapy, where I do imagine if you're talking about your past experiences and you're like starting to reconcile while you're upset, I do imagine it does have a lot of positive benefits. He also like really expands upon this and just kind of makes it seem like doing this process will help you with physical illnesses. Yeah. And you're going to like, Oh, you, <laughs> I, I imagine like the televangelists when they're like, get that cancer out of your body. right now. <laughs> Just like, like the gym the Jones. that you can like suck the cancer out of you or something like that. Yeah. Of course, Hubbard does, thinks Dianetics is a way to do this as well. Yeah. I mean, like when you become clear, when you start to clear these bad memories, it improves your IQ. Let me tell you, <laughs> you can, the common cold doctors can't solve it, but Hey, which the thing is though, you know, your mental state is related to your physical well-being. People who are stressed are known to have high blood pressure. There is this kind of, um, mm -hmm. I do think it's totally possible that this process gives people peace of mind. Yeah, absolutely. And peace of mind then makes them feel better. 
yeah physically. absolutely like i think this probably has some value if you're kind of dealing with your demons and then but the stuff he's claiming is like 100 percent of the time like, <laughs> yeah. any physical ailments can young. be cured with this yeah like it's it's just it's something else he's not like this is therapeutic <laughs> he's like this is medicine <laughs> and uh so he finds a doctor dr joseph winter and they like work on the therapy this psychotherapy and also the idea for him to do this was because his doctor was like you should go see a psychiatrist yeah because like i think a lot of people have kind of told him he was crazy (laughs) and so they start working on this theory and they start doing tests on people and like one of their buddies would bring people in yeah. that he knew because they were fans of science fiction. Yeah. <laughs> and then they would clear these folks' negative experiences. And he made a book of this, Dianetics, and it was very popular. Yep. Sold 55,000 copies by 1950. Yeah. And was on the New York Times bestseller for a while and you know it became a fad and no offense to california and people from cali but like that's the type of place this fad would start you know definitely definitely. and uh this is like quickly where scientology starts to look like a ponzi scheme is because it starts out they're selling books Harvard's going around giving lectures. People are like auditing groups are sprouting up around the country. And then what do they do? They then pay Hubbard to come teach them how to audit so that they can then charge new yeah. people to be audited by them. And then so the yep. cycle continues. Yeah. And he's making a lot of money. I think nothing gives credibility like money, you know, like you're just kind of this crazy theory. But then once people start to see that, oh, wow. Tom Cruise is into Scientology. All these people are paying money into Scientology. Hey, there must be something to it. If all these other people are interested, if they're all paying money, look how wealthy he is. Yeah. And it, and it sounds crazy. If Tom Cruise is the leader, it would be like, it would be like Akon, like Akon world or whatever. (laughs) But it's the fact that Tom Cruise is a follower that makes it like intimidating. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. And another thing worth noting, and again, this is later on, but with Scientology and they have this auditing, they would document every person. You're going through all these memories and they'd ask you questions about, you know, weird sex stuff, just any bad thing you could have done in the past. And they document all of it. So for every like member, they have a file on that person and you can never see that file, but they are literally trying to audit you and get all these like deep dark memories out of you yeah and there was one person who did see his own folder and that was l ron hubbard of course um so in 1950 it kind of came crashing down for him for a little bit because he gave this presentation before like six thousand people in la and he introduced this girl and he said she has been cleared of all of her negative experiences. She has perfect recall. And he brought her out on stage. And I guess she studied physics in college. And she had to recite, she had to remember a single physics formula and then couldn't remember one. And then at one point, he turned around and she had to name what tie, color tie he was wearing. 
and she could not remember. <laughs> and I think yeah. once yeah. that happened, like more than half the people in the um, theater got yeah. up and left. And so things go into financial straits a little bit. He, and this is like, it's just crazy. He, so people start leaving the organization and then um, he's having an affair. Sarah's having an affair. Um, he reports Sarah and the person she's having an affair with, the FBI, saying he's a communist <laughs> and being like, <laughs> like, you need to, <laughs> like, you need to stop them. And the FBI was like, <laughs> the FBI basically was like, he's crazy. But anyone who kind of wronged him, he would just report as a communist. <laughs> he would call up the FBI and be yeah, like, you know, they're they're buddy buddy with the with the Soviets. Yep, him and Sarah beefing, and then he kidnaps Sarah. Like him and some of his associates kidnap Sarah and uh, their daughter Alexis, and he tries to take her to a doctor that is going to declare her insane, which is yeah. uh, pretty horrible. He then. Uh, Sarah gets left behind, but he takes Alexis to Cuba to go hide out. And so he's kidnapped his daughter at this point. And then Sarah files for divorce. And then she goes to like newspapers and says, my husband is insane. Like he's kidnapped our daughter. And so they start releasing kind of negative news articles about him. And then that's when he reaches out. He's like, Ooh, we can't be having these negative news articles about me. <laughs> and yeah. so, yeah. And so he eventually agrees to give up Alexis in return for Sarah coming out with a statement, basically being like, did you read the statement that she made about him? It was basically like, everything I said about L. Ron Hubbard that's negative is not true. He's like a brilliant man. And he's like just a top guy. And basically, yeah. So he did all, like, he got what he wanted, which was to hopefully have his name cleared. Yeah. And just whenever I hear all this, it's like, how is this the guy who's supposed to be the head of this, the most modern religion? Like how? Like literally, it was just like randomly in there. He kidnapped his wife and daughter I know, and then took his daughter to Cuba. And then at the threat of his name being swelled in the media, eventually yeah. just like let his daughter go and then just stop speaking to his ex-wife. I know. And this is all documented. This isn't hearsay. <laughs> this is in the newspapers. Like Tom Cruise. Like, how do you? <laughs> I just, just don't. <laughs> this is okay. <laughs> so this next part, I have this all, I have notes on this and I like, couldn't believe how fast it happened. So there was this millionaire, his, I think his last name was Purcell, mm -hmm. who all their Dianetics foundations are kind of falling apart. They're running out of money. Things are not going well. And then this guy is in Wichita, Kansas. And he's like, Hey, like let's set up a foundation together for Dianetics. Yeah. And so Ron is like, all right, great. And so he comes out there, goes to Wichita. They start working together. Within a year, they have differences of opinion. Yeah. Ron accuses the guy of like being corrupt and like taking, stealing money and doing all these horrible things. And so uh, they're like doing battle. So then he goes and he's like, I'm going to go 
um, create my own Dianetics Foundation called the Hubbard College on the other side of town. So he goes and does that. And then he meets a staff member, an 18-year-old staff member, marries her, <laughs> shuts down the college, and then moves to Phoenix, Arizona from Wichita, Kansas. And from the time that he like created the college, married the staff member, shut down the college, and then moved to Phoenix, Arizona, that was all in the span of six weeks. <laughs> That's and this is L. Ron Hubbard's life. He moves so quickly from one crazy idea to the next. Yep. So then um in the 1950s, that was where he started expanding on Dianetics. I think he and he commented to people that it was kind of hard to be in the medical field and get validation in the medical industry. But if he kind of expanded into the religious field, he didn't have to be, he didn't have to have all those facts to back him up and all that <laughs> scientific research. It was much more of a uh, ideological pursuit. Yeah. They would say Dianetics addressed the body. You know, th that was the physical science. Scientology addresses the soul. Yeah. And um, he was also noted as saying to higher ups in Scientology that there was a lot of uh, tax benefits. <laughs> there was a lot. Of, that's a okay. So the big thing with Scientology is like they've gone to war with the IRS more than anybody ever. Oh yeah, and it's. I mean, where do you stand on it? Should is it should it be treated as a religion? I don't know. I guess so. Like, because uh, imagine, I imagine a lot of the Scientologists are treating it like anyone else treats Christianity, Islam, or the Judaism, where I imagine people, you know, maybe you just look at all these stories allegorically or kind of just as like moral stories and they're learning from it and they're trying to be better people. Like, well, what, you know, what's the difference? I don't know. And that's the thing. Like, I don't, should all religious organizations be taxed? Should none of them be taxed? I, yeah, 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 when it comes to taxes, I'm, I'm I'm just not really sure on it. Yeah, and then I do think it depends, like how much money they're making and who's making profits, because like <laughs> they were bringing in a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, but so is you know, so is the Catholic faith. It's yeah, it's we it's a weird one, and it's you know, you're dealing with science <laughs> and religion. <laughs> so. So yeah, so he starts expanding. He starts doing the, oh my gosh, I almost forgot about the Sea Org. So he starts expanding on his, oh, kitty on the table. He starts expanding. He starts coming up with these ideas with like, so this is like when all the spiritual stuff comes in. He says yeah. that your body is a spiritual being. Um, called a thetan and there's yeah. like thetan levels which mm -hmm. I, i'm sure people may or may not have heard of um yeah. and it's this idea it's this idea that there was a galactic federation like millions of years ago mm -hmm. led by xenu and then there was some sort of like war and then people 
I mean, the, all the stuff with when it comes to the religious aspects of it, it's it it honestly it reads like a science f- fiction novel. I know it's just unreal. It's just unreal. But no, these Thetans, which are like these omnipotent entities, he says they came to Earth thirty five thousand years ago to supervise cavemen into Homo sapiens. Which you know something happened where we went from apes to these kind of human beings. Who's to say it's not the Thetans? <laughs> I guess they like, like part of you is a Thetan, but then the Thetan can leave you and they go to another planet, maybe Mars, who knows? Um, yeah, there's a lot of nitty gritty to it and it's very confusing. But what I like is they can measure your Thetan levels using an E meter, mm-hmm. which is like this preposterous machine that just they like set it up next to you and they can, they can read how much Thetan is coming. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot kind of like a lie detector where your hands are grabbing onto like two cans. And it's, I really think it measures kind of your, some like physical characteristics, like maybe sweat, heartbeat. And so it's a lot like a lie detector. And if there's activity, you know, it means you haven't cleared your mind. But yeah, these e meters are like the shit. It all just seems very preposterous. Oh, but absolutely. It gained steam. Absolutely. It gained steam. He started to get, he got followers. He's doing the Church of Scientology now. They've got this whole spiritual side. They've got the medical side. And then in 1966, he is like, you know what I need to do? I need to acquire a fleet. So he buys three ships and becomes the Commodore of the Sea Org. And him and his fleet start traveling around the world looking for a country basically that they can like bring Scientology to and turn Scientology into the prevailing religion, I think was their goal. It felt like they were kind of looking for places where maybe there wasn't that stable of a government or they could kind of overpower with their ideology, like Morocco. There were a few places they were like trying to set up a base in. I know they got kicked out of Australia. Yeah, they got kicked out of a bunch of places. Like they just like kept getting kicked out of places it never really worked for them when they were going around, but they would just travel around on the high seas. And he was just like yeah. this ruthless leader on the boats <laughs> and was just always, I don't know. It just, the fact that he keeps going back to the naval thing, now he's like <laughs> naval leader with his religion. It just like yeah. all kind of creeped me out. Yeah. And at this point, so Scientology kind of expanded like Dianetics. You talked about your past. You know, you had these sperm dreams. Scientology went past that. It went into previous lives. So apparently on the Sea Org vessels, he would talk about his past lives. And he would apparently just tell these stories all the time on these like vessels. And people were just like, wow, that's crazy. Just eat it up. And a part of this the mission of the Sea Org was in his past lives. He buried treasure all culminating for this moment. So they would go to these huge ruins that are like, you know, documented shipwrecks or whatever. And they would have metal detectors looking for the gold he buried in previous lives. <laughs> it's just all so preposterous. And it's, it's, it's honestly, it's, a natural progression from him when he was younger. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And he just starts gaining a following. And then at this point, like Scientology is a, is a decently big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So he 
created he actually created rules like that we had talked about where they would ask you if you've ever had negative thoughts about him they would ask you they would basically turn people against each other mm-hmm. he had situations where he was pushing he would push people to stop communicating with their family members if they were not approving yep. of Scientology Jim Jones um, they they engaged in like espionage yeah did you read did you read about um, like some of the operations that they did so they had they had this plot where there was uh, a writer for the New York Times that she had written negative articles about them I guess. And this is what was making me nervous. <laughs> she had written negative articles about them, I guess. And she, and what they were planning on doing was calling in bomb, th- like they were going to pretend to be her and call in bomb threats to places to try to ruin her life and get her sent to jail and like threaten to kill the president and like all this crazy Sheesh. stuff over the phone. Yeah. And they had other ideas where they were um they would like research and spy on people in the irs to try to like find dirt on them so they can then use it against them to then have better tax implications i mean that was one of his big things was if you're an enemy use all means to deface the enemy and he would say yeah he'd be like research them pull up their past history like pursue legal actions and like he even encouraged to an extent to kind of like make up you know, these wrong. Yeah. By any means. Yeah. By any means necessary. And at one point his wife got, uh, she got arrested because they were, it was uncovered that they had this whole plot where they were going to sleep, like sleeper cell into government organizations to try to dismantle the government. Yeah. 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 Like, you know, just try to get, get jobs as a janitor, you know, and then just, uh, Get take them down from the inside. <laughs> Get that clearance, and then and then take them down. <laughs> but yeah, it was just all just like crazy stuff. But it That's kept so growing, and yep. because you keep you keep going up to people, and people watch the Netflix documentaries. Like they reel you in. They like get you to spend your money so that you can keep going. And then next thing you know, you're in and then you just keep going and you want to like get to the top, yeah. but you're never going to get there. Yeah. And you know, it can start out pretty appealing and there's definitely a lot of benefits to auditing and benefits to the community and the outlook, but then you get deeper into it. You don't like what you see, but they had literally have a file of you on you where you confessed your darkest secrets um yeah so <laughs> um so he eventually gets charged <laughs> with fraud by the french government him and like the french um scientology temple gets charged with fraud and he like he's kind of like on the run a little bit in the u.s yeah and also uh just back to the sea org <laughs> um you always hear the term international waters, like not a bad move. I don't know what that means, but he's just out there in international waters doing whatever he wants. There's no plot. jurisdiction. They were like, yeah, nobody can, nobody can get us out here because they were worried that there was going to be some attempt from a foreign government to like take control of them and stop their mission. Yeah. Wild. 
Sea Org was just outrageous. <laughs> like all of a sudden, yeah. And then they had this fleet because he yeah. wanted always wanted to be in the navy. Yeah. It's like, oh my gosh. I know. So yeah, he uh they they expand in the US, they set up a, a land base in Florida, in Clearwater, Florida. And then eventually they end up, I mean, over the years they grow like a weed. And they have they have their de facto leadership temple in Los Angeles area. I think so. And eventually he starts kind of he doesn't really relinquish power. He slows down. He's got a lot of illnesses and stuff like that. And but he's using messengers and couriers and stuff to relay messages to make it so everybody knows what he's up to and they kind of frame it all that he's doing research. So he's out of touch. So he can't like, nobody can see him because he's off doing research and he had this ranch (laughs) where he would just like do construction on it, like huge amounts of construction just constantly. And like, he never used any of this, like he had a racetrack built that he never used and an observation tower that he, that was never used. And um, so he was just kind of like coming up with his ideas, relaying them to people and uh, relaxing in uh, California eventually. Yeah. So what, um, to what extent do you think he believes this and he's just kind of like a crazy man and, you know, he believes in Thetans, he believes in the e-meters and all this and to what extent do you believe he's just a con man kind of i think it's like i think he believes it he's like such a good con man that he believes it himself <laughs> con man himself yeah like he like thinks the thetans like he's like oh yeah sounds reasonable in my mind and then just kind of goes with it yeah so i don't yeah. think he's like openly being like wow look at these suckers like i'm gonna get them yeah. with my lies i think he just like comes up with these like crazy ideas and then just believes them wholeheartedly with them for no reason yeah i agree that's that's what i feel but there have been um people mentioned like during auditing he would kind of like laugh and he, and then he would make comments allegedly where people would mention the excalibur that famous writing and he was like oh yeah i have to write i have to get to writing that <laughs> i've written that and then yeah, so I, I do wonder and to what extent, you know, he thinks he's right and he's just doing the right thing and he's saving I mean, the world. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy. And this, is, and this isn't like Jim Jones where he had this wild ride and then it ended with a bang. Yeah. L. Ron Hubbard died of illness at an old age, kind of in seclusion because governments were, because he was wanted by the American and France government. But at the end of the day, he is still worshipped <laughs> to this yeah. day. Like there, um, it, it was kind of a successful career for him. He kind of had the lasting impact that he wanted. The U.S. government wanted him. Like, was he wanted for crime? I think so. He was on the list of people who were people who were wanted, but are no longer being searched for, or something like that. I saw mm-hmm. he was on that list. And I think it was yeah. because of probably like tax fraud. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because Scientology didn't clear stuff up with the IRS until David Miscavige in like the two thousands, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so 
Yeah. L. Ron Hubbard, unfortunately, he died in 1986. And of course, the Scientology leaders said that he was doing his research and that his body was no longer needed for his research. So he would carry on his research without it. Yeah. Cause I do think part of his whole shtick was like, they're not going to die. Like he yep. wasn't going to die. Yeah. Once you get to the operating thetan level, you, you move on, you can jump from body to body. Uh, so shit, he did that. He's in another body now as a thetan. I don't know. I might've made that. Is that up. what? <laughs> <laughs> you evolve. <laughs> See, we can um, do this too. <laughs> you say it with confidence. It's fine. <laughs> At Scientology temples, they have a room set up with like a desk for when he comes back in each temple. In each temple. And does he come back? Is that part of it? Or like that's in the future? I think like the idea is sometime in the future, he's going to come back. (laughs) So they have like Like, a room set up with like a desk for him, like his office. That's great. Um, Oh, that'll prove everyone wrong. (laughs) I'll show it. He's like, not only am I back from the dead, but I also have hundreds of offices around the world where I can stop in and work at my desk. I wonder if they keep him modern. Like, does he have like, oh. Mac, like Max in there? Like a, a Double pen. screens. Dude. I don't know. This is, he was just so crazy. He was way so crazier crazy. than I expected. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's all pretty crazy. Yeah. But if this ends up being the religion that is like the right religion, then (laughs) I don't know what to say. It's a little unfortunate that the founder of this religion was such a dick (laughs) and a fraud, you know, (laughs) dick, fraud, exaggerator. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like basically, uh, you know, like had charisma and could whip people in, yeah. the, in the line. But yeah. This Alan is Elron Hubbard, the founder of the most recent religion. With millions of followers worldwide. So they say millions. Uh, <laughs> other sources say like 20,000. <laughs> Something like that. Number of Scientologists. Like when I Google it, uh, it peaked in the 90s with roughly 100,000 members, but it's dipped to 20,000. But a Scientology spokesperson vigorously denies this claim. The church has millions of parishioners in 167 nations, a third of whom are in the US. I think they, um, it was like audited and they said that there was like a book, like a Scientology book. And they said, if you had bought the book that you were considered Scientologist. (laughs) Funny, funny. So for each copy, and I think they were, they like artificially inflated. They were like buying up copies of the book and then giving them to bookstores and stuff to make it so the numbers seemed higher. Oh, sure. And, And the other thing is like, how many Scientologists do you know? Like that's like a good gauge. Like, you know, I feel like they're all in LA. That's a good point. It's a good point. Alas. Good L. Ron ones. Hubbard, if nothing else, very prolific and with a lasting impact. Yeah. Made his crazy mark. Thank you, Paz, for joining me 
on this uh, wonderful adventure, this voyage. <laughs> like Ron Hubbard. This voyage into the founder of Scientology. I feel like I'm more confused about Scientology than before I looked into it. I'm totally confused by Scientology. <laughs> the more it's like the more you learn, the less you understand. <laughs> but uh, yeah, everybody should go out and just go on go on Wikipedia and just start clicking around because there's so many things you can go into the crazy covert operations that they did you can go oh into the crazy stories of um L. Ron hubbard's life you can go and learn about um modern Scientology and how everything has grown and you can go on youtube you can go and watch <laughs> their network like it's all it's all just wild absolutely wild we're watching this modern religion question mark <laughs> unfold in front of our eyes so yeah, exciting time to be alive. No doubt about that. Bye, everyone. Take care. Live long and prosper. <laughs>